Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. How about that? I love that. Well, good morning again, everyone. Good morning again. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm really craving marshmallows right now. (laughs) Love that. Hey, uh, before we get started, can we go ahead and thank the band for leading us in worship? Can we honor them? Thank you, Verona and Team Ed. Verona has done an awesome job stepping up into leadership at our church. We believe in raising up young leaders at our church. So thank you, Verona. Thank you, team. All right, so we're going to jump right on in. Go ahead and grab your notes out of your Connect folder if you're willing. And we're going to dive on into our message. We are one month in on our new series for a new year and a new decade. We're calling Best Year Yet. Everyone say that with me. Best Year Yet. And what we're talking about is not just how to set some goals, which today is today the second or the first? Today's the second, right? Today's the second. Most of you have already given up on your New Year's resolutions, uh, statistics say at least now. But what we're talking about is to focus on what's most important. We're not just talking about pithy resolutions. We're talking about focusing on what's most important. And if you focus on what's most important, add to your life and add to your spiritual life. Some of the things we're talking about in this series, it could bring the most satisfaction in your year. And they actually could make this year the best year yet for you. Now, we are examining um, a a passage from one of the letters that the Apostle Peter wrote. You're familiar with Peter, Jesus' famous disciple who had perpetual foot and mouth syndrome, Peter the fisherman, and he ended up becoming uh, Peter the Apostle, and we honor Peter in this place, and he wrote a small letter to churches in the first century called 2 Peter, and we're at 2 Peter, a theme verse for this series is 2 Peter 1 verse 4. We're going to put it on the screens. So we're going to read it out loud all together. If you're streaming online, you're going to the fair. I don't care. You have to read it out loud too, right by the corndog stand. You have to do it. Ready? Go. His divine power has given us everything we need for our godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Very good. So uh, this is what we're talking about in the series. Here's a quick recap, not of the past several weeks, but just of the heart of of the message of what we're talking about. We're talking about, first off, that God's promises. He's called us by his very great and precious promises. He's given us everything we need for our godly life by his promises. And this is what Peter teaches us, that God's promises are perfect, that they're complete, that they're finished, that they are ready for us to take hold of. But here's the problem. There's nothing wrong with God's promises. The issue is our faith. As God's promises are complete, our faith Our faith is incomplete. Our faith needs to be added to. Our faith needs to grow. It needs to be developed. And Peter tells us that there's a gap between the promises of God and our faith, and that is met by our effort. It's met by our effort, where God's power and God's promises combine with our effort together. Man, miracles can happen there. And this is what the series is talking about. God's promises and his power are for the taking. If we're willing to reach out with our effort, he'll meet us in the middle and he will add to our faith and to our life and give us the best year yet. 
So, uh, what Peter has talked about is uh, we've ta- he talks about this virtue list that we've been exploring one topic at a time in our series, and it started with just a few weeks ago. Started with faith, and then it went to goodness. Last week it went to knowledge, and then Peter says what we're going to talk about today. He says to add to your knowledge self control. We're talking about self control today. Now, let's talk about self control for a minute. I loved that video of the little ones with the marshmallows. We just saw my favorite part is where the kid did the double marshmallow. Like, oh, that's my favorite. And, um, but did you know, did you know that self-control is a big deal, so much of a big deal that it can be a predictor of the success that you will or will not have in your life? See, that video that showed the marshmallows is actually a highly repeated, well-known, published study by um, behavioral psychologists and sociologists. In fact, check this out. When they study this topic, they don't call it topics or studies in self-control. They call it studies in delayed gratification. Delayed gratification. And a study at Columbia University found out which kids had the self-control to resist temptation and hold out for the full reward and which did not. Check this out. The children were checked on over the next few decades, okay? So the kids, and they did in their study, who ate the marshmallows or did not, they followed the marshmallow-eating kids for decades to study their life. And let's see what happens with the kids who waited and the kids who did not wait to eat a marshmallow. And the results were astounding. Let me tell you this. They said the kids who did well in the test years ago tended to do better in life. The better, and it's better in a lot of ways. Their SAT scores were higher, like an average of 210 points higher. They were more popular in school. As teenagers, they had fewer run-ins with the law. They were less likely to do drugs, less likely to obtain pregnancies. They had higher levels of overall happiness. Self-control then, they determined as a several decade long study, self-control or delayed gratification is a key indicator of whether or not we will be successful in life. So the moral of the story is never eat marshmallows. But it's fascinating. In fact, uh, one of the studies when they were talking about this and commenting on it, they said it's interesting that we focus on our kids so much of developing their self-esteem that actually if we want our kids to be successful, we should focus on developing their self-control instead. Interesting. Get this too. Another study I found this week uh, was uh, a quote from uh, the, a professor at the University of Michigan on social psychology. His name is Richard Nisbet. And, Nisbet, sure, whatever. He's not here. Okay. And, <laughs> and if you're here, Richard, I'm sorry. If you're streaming online, you never know. Okay. Um, and get this. He's the world's leading authority on the topic of intelligence. Like, how smart do you have to be to be the world-leading authority on smartness, on intelligence? And just I just showed how intelligent I am. Smartness, that's a word. <laughs> the world's greatest authority on the topic of intelligence, okay? When somebody asked him about self-control, you know what he said? He would rather his children have self-control than intelligence. Because self-control is a greater indicator of how you're going to do in life or not. Self-control is a very, very big 
deal. And I just find this totally fascinating because modern day studies, modern day science, modern day sociology and clinical psychiatry, all of these things are just corroborating the ancient wisdom of the Bible. They just are over and over again. That's one of the reasons why I believe in this book and the ancient truth that's found in it. So that being said, since self-control is so important and we all want to be successful in life and want our children to be successful in life if you have children, um, let's learn about self-control. So let's go to First Peter. It's on your notes. First Peter 1, 5, and the first half of verse 6. Excuse me, Second Peter, not First Peter. Excuse me. And so Peter wrote this and writes this to us today. He says here, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. Would you pray with me? Um, instead of me praying over you all, I just want you Keep your eyes, you, just bow your heads, keep your eyes closed. No one's going to make you do anything out loud, but I just want you right where you're at to take a deep breath. And in your own way, in your own words, just pray one sentence to God and tell him you're open to receive. So it'll be something like this. God, I'm open to hear from you today. God, I'm open to learn something new today. God, speak to me today. In your own words, do that. Give you a moment. Thank you, Lord. Meet us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So let's talk about what is self-control. Just right off the bat, what is self-control? Well, I'm discovering with many of these virtues in the virtue list that Peter talked about um, that uh, a simple dictionary definition really doesn't do much help for us. So if you looked up self-control in the dictionary, do you know what it says? Self-control, dictionary, ability to control oneself. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Not really helpful. So um, if we're talking about this idea of self-control, what helps is to go to context in the Bible, maybe to look at other colleagues of Peter, other co-authors of the Bible uh, in ancient uh, letters in the Christian Bible to see when they talk about self-control too, maybe we could get a little bit more understanding from context. So uh, particularly, uh, what we're going to be talking about today, it's not going to be on your notes, but it's going to be on the screen. So you look at it in your Bible, if you brought your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, is coming from the book of Titus. The book of Titus, it was a small letter. It was written in the year 64 AD by the Apostle Paul, who was a contemporary of the Apostle Peter. And Paul is most widely known for his protege that he raised up in the faith, kind of like his associate, who was Timothy. But what's a common misnomer is Paul didn't have one protege. He had many. And the other one who's most highly noted in the scriptures is Titus, who is an associate of Paul's, much like I'm an associate of Pastor Dale, and he's a mentor to me. Same way, Paul with Timothy, or with Titus, excuse me. And so uh, he wrote this to Titus, particularly. Some letters in the New Testament are written to churches. Some are written to the church in general in the first century. And some are written to one person. That's why it's called Titus, because it's addressed to Titus. And he was commissioned by Paul to go lead some churches in the island of Crete. So look at this. It's Titus 2. We're getting a context about self-control. Titus 2, we're going to start with verses 11 and 12. 
And he, Paul wrote this. He said, for the grace of God has appeared, to, uh, has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live up, there it is, self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. So now we're going to come back to Titus 2 again later in the message, but we're just going to pause right here to get, like I said, context of what self-control is. First of all, we see that self-control is fundamentally learning to say no to certain things. I think this is interesting at this point in our series as it's developing upon each other as we read earlier in Second uh, Peter, we have faith and add to faith, goodness and add to goodness, knowledge and add to knowledge, self-control. So up to this point, we've been saying yes to things. We've been saying yes to faith, yes to growing trust in who God is and who he says he is and what he says he does. That's faith. It's trust. And we were saying yes to growing a goodness, to becoming uh, in ourselves like Jesus, to grow his character inside of us because his goodness is within us. That's going to come out of us. And we're saying yes to growing in knowledge of God, not just book smarts about God, but growing in a relational, intimate friendship, knowledge of God through his son, Jesus, we're saying, yes, yes, yes. And we get to self-control. It's learning to say no. Isn't that interesting? See, what you need to know, let me be a pastor for you in just a second. What you need to know is that not when you're just doing a church thing, doing a religious thing, but when you're actually engaging in a relationship with Jesus and you're getting to know him by the power of the Holy Spirit, there will come a point in time in your relationship with him when he will begin to ask you to start saying no to things that you've previously been saying yes to. He usually does it one area at a time. He's not a legalist. He's not mean-spirited. He's not condemning. He's gracious and loving. But one by one, he begins to speak to areas of your life and say, hey, I want to have a conversation about this right now. Um, you've been saying yes, Steph, well, it's time for you to learn to begin to say no to certain areas in your life. He's asking us to begin to say no to things um, like we read in the passage, mainly sin. And what sin is, in a classical definition, sin is a violation of the moral law of God. But here's the bigger deal. Sin is not just an arbitrary, this is good and this is bad, so just do it. Sin, when we engage in it, um, actually hurts your relationship with God. It damages the relationship. That's why God asks us to abstain from sin. And it damages your relationship with each other to the person on your left and the person on the right and the person in front of you, the person behind you and whoever you might be streaming with or if you're streaming alone, the people in your life, it damages your relationship with others and it damages your relationship with yourself. Sin is not good for us. It's bad for us. It brings destruction and death and pain. And that's why God says this is bad and this is good. So please refrain from bad. There are times when you begin to walk with Jesus and develop your friendship with him and he'll begin to tell you one by one in areas of your life, it's time to put this aside now and learn to say no and to begin to learn how to live in a different way. This is where self-control comes in. Now, self-control is important because it, it um, not only leads to success in life, and this is a great self-help thing, there's so much more than that. For instance, there's an ancient proverb that comes with the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. We're going to put it on the screen. Check this out. The author wrote this, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Interesting. Now, this can be hard to relate to. Uh, we don't have walls around our cities, so to say. Like, we don't have walls around Royal Palm Beach. 
and we don't have a moat with alligators. We have canals, but we don't have a moat with alligators around Wellington. I mean, in Loxahatchee, you might have like walls around your compound, like don't tread on me out here in Loxahatchee. You know, you might have that, might have that. But around like cities, I mean, that's a concept we don't necessarily have anymore. People deal with security for cities and regions uh, in different ways now. In the ancient world, every city had to have a wall around it as protection from invaders. And so it's different. It's different now a days. So it's hard to relate to. It's like a city whose walls are broken. I've never lived in a city with walls as protection. Interesting. So what does he mean? Uh, let me illustrate this. So um, I went to the fair last week with my family. Have you been to the fair this year? So much fun. So much fun. Trust many of you have been to the fair or been to a fair, so you understand what I'm talking about. Here's a picture of me and my family on the big Adirondack chair. There we are. Here's a picture of my boy on the Ferris wheel. Oh, it's so much fun. Here's my daughter getting her face painted. This is the picture she wanted to show. Daddy, show them my unicorn on my cheek. Okay. And so here's my favorite picture of Tessa from the day. Look at that. Oh, yeah. That little girl had two ice creams that day. We had a lot of sugar. We had a day. So we went to the fair, and it was a lot of fun, right? I don't know about you. I get a little bit paranoid when I go to the fair where I'm in really large crowds like that. Anybody else can relate? I'm just watching everything a little bit more closely, and I'm locking my car four times before I leave the parking lot to go in. I want you to imagine something with me. I want you to imagine that you go to the fair and you park in general parking, not like the fancy, like you pay to park and like, you know, your hoity toity person parking, but like you're parking with all the normal people like us. You just go and park in the big group of people and you decide to leave your car unlocked. Ooh, right. And not only you decide to leave your car unlocked, you decide to leave all your windows down in your car that's unlocked. And not only is your car unlocked and your windows are down, but you also decide to leave your wallet or your purse on the front seat of your car. And if you're a hipster, it's, you know, your over-the-shoulder fanny pack that now, now is in. So it's that, or if you have a man purse, a purse, or a manly satchel, whatever people call it. Yeah. So whatever it is, imagine you decide to leave that in the front seat of your car with the doors unlocked and the windows down. None of us would do that. Can you imagine uh, somebody could just so easily grab your wallet, get your money, your credit cards. They could look at your driver's license and look at your home address. Not good. Bad news, right? That is the image the Bible's trying to portray of having a lack of self-control. A person without self-control is a defenseless person. See, there are things in your life that are at work. There are forces of good at work in your life to bring you blessing and to bring God's will into your life and God's goodness into your life. And there are also forces of evil at work in your life to steal and kill and destroy anything and everything that is good in your life. And if you have not developed or are not developing self-control, the, the doors to your car are unlocked and the windows are down. Self-control is important because it protects your life. It's important. So let's rewind. Let's go back to Timothy. Let's go back to Tim, or excuse me, back to Titus. Excuse me, I misspoke. Let's go back to Titus. So self-control is learning to say no, and it's important. But here's what else it says. Here's what else it says. It says, for the grace of God, if you're taking notes in your Bible or in your Bible app, I would underline that phrase if you could. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no 
to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, and I love this phrase, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now, uh, Peter's understanding of self-control from what we just read, uh, and Paul here is cooperating at the same time, is completely different from modern secular psychologists and self-help books. It's completely different. Because as you could see from the very first line, go back to verse 11 if you could, guys. Go back to, thank you. Look at this. Self-control is not about self-help. Self-control is about the grace of God. Do you see it? God's grace, it is what teaches us to say no. Every other system of behavior modification in the world will tell you, try harder, think deeper, arrange your life and do this and do that in A, B, and C, and you could change your life. But here in Christianity, it's not you don't change your life. It's the grace of God that changes your life and grows us in self-control. Now, let me break this down for you with our time remaining in, in kind of three distinct ways of how God's grace grows self-control. So write this down. First off, it's that God grace, God's grace appears to us. It's just what it said in the passage. The grace of God has appeared to us to bring salvation to all people. Did it say some people? Just the people who look like me or act like me or vote like me, or is it all people? Mm, all. I'm going to step on some toes. I thought it said all. All means all. So God's grace has appeared to all people. All people. Now, this this is really important. Uh, how many of you remember the story from 2018 about the, the Thai uh, boys soccer team that got trapped in a cave? How many of you remember that story, right? Powerful story. We're going to have a picture of here in the cave that they're in, the Luang Cave, and the rescue that happened. So the, there are 12 Thai, uh, bo- 12 boys on a Thailand soccer team, and they had a 25-year-old coach. They were exploring a cave. It started to monsoon, and they didn't run out, and they got trapped in the cave because the water rose. They ended up being 2.5 miles deep into the cave from the entrance. They spent, get this, nine days in there in pitch black just above the water's edge. Can you even fathom that? Ugh, Horrible. Uh, It took 100 divers, 2,000 soldiers, 10 police helicopters, and 700 diving cylinders and displacing a billion liters of water to get to them. And the whole world celebrated and rejoiced when they were found and then celebrated and rejoiced even more when one by one by one, they got them out of the cave, every last one of them. It's amazing. Every last one. Now, just picture this with me in this scene here. Before the floodlights came, before all the soldiers came, before all this the equipment came to rescue them, can you imagine what it must have been like to have been those 12 boys in their coach in pitch darkness, and all of a sudden the water begins to move, and the water's disturbed, and something's coming. And then up out of the water come divers with light and with messages of hope that we're here 
to get you home. After nine days in pitch darkness, what would that have felt like to you? I know me, I'm not a crier, but I would have wept for joy. I would have. I would have been scared like crazy at first, but then I would have wept tears of joy. This is what salvation feels like, where it appears to all people. The grace of God has appeared to offer salvation to all people. Now, let me get the distinction just for today. This is really important. You could miss this if we don't pause here. Trust me, this has to do with where we're going, okay? Um, I've been on a diet all year long, or one month into the year, all year long, 30 days in. Okay, let's be real. Let's be real. 30 days in, I'm on this diet called the Whole30. Anybody ever heard of the Whole30? Okay, so here's what the Whole30 is. It's supposed to be 30 days or more of no wheat, no grain, no dairy, no sugar, no happiness. Okay? And um, so I haven't had chocolate for 30 days. I haven't had a cookie for 30 days. If you know me, I'm trying to lose a cookie belly, and, you know, mm, that's hard, right? Now, here's this all ties together. Just hang with me for a second. Did it take self-control for me to say no to cookies for 30 days? Yeah. Is that really the self-control that Peter and Paul are talking about in the scriptures? Not really. Now, I'm not here to down anybody who has a food addiction, and it's actually way more serious to you than for me saying no to cookies. Hear that, okay? But no, it's not. It's talking about something way deeper. See, there are things in life that are hard to say no to, or way harder to say no to than chocolate chip cookies. There are things in life where just say no won't work anymore. There are substances that you want to take that just saying no won't cut it. And things that we want to drink that just saying no doesn't work. Just saying no is really hard to say to when it's sex. Or just say no when it's your anger or your hatred. Or just say no when it's your your speech that just spews out of your mouth and eviscerates people all around you. Just say no doesn't work for some things in life. There's a passage in scripture in Romans chapter 7 where Paul is writing. He talks about there are things that I do not want to do. And those are the exact things I end up doing. And the things I do want to do, I am powerless to do, and I don't do. He's describing the common condition of human beings of fallenness. Any of you ever felt that way before? I don't want to do this stuff, but I seem to not be able to help myself. And the things I do want to do, I have no power to do. It feels like being trapped in a cave with no way out. And if you've gone to the bottom of that, and if you've had the grace enough to hit your rock bottom, you know exactly what it is, that I am powerless to do anything about this. I need a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity. And this, this is what the writers of Scripture are talking about when salvation appears to all. That God's grace has appeared to us to bring salvation to all. See, when God's offer of salvation comes to you, that's not just, I'm now a fan of Jesus. 
And it's even deeper. It's not just saying, I've asked Jesus to forgive me for my sins. That's all good and true, but that's only the first half of the good news of Jesus. As soon as you say yes to following him, he not only forgives you for your sin, but at that very moment when you say yes to following him, he immediately gets to work inside of you and sets you free from sin and to rescue you out of a cave that you can't get out of on your own. This is the message of salvation of Jesus, that I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to set you free. There's no addiction too strong. There's no pattern too deep or too difficult to break. Change is possible. Hope is real. Freedom is real. And Jesus has come to do it by his grace in your life. The grace of God appears to us, but then it does this. It teaches us. So you remember at the beginning when I said it's God's promises and God's power, but it has to meet our effort to come to here. This is where God teaches us to take care of our side of the street. This isn't all of it, but this is your part of it. It's not enough to go, well, God's grace has appeared to me, so now I don't have to do anything. That's called cheap grace. And we sang about that earlier, right? God, I don't want to abuse your grace. It's the only thing that makes me want to change. Here's where our side of the street is. God's grace teaches us as we learn to grow in our friendship with him. He teaches us how to think different, to act different, to believe differently. Here's some quick ways. God's grace will teach you how to take care of yourself. It will teach you how to take care of yourself in self-care. We live in a society that burns out, that's overworked, overstressed, over-anxious, over-everything, and we wonder why we're falling apart and can't take control of ourselves because we've pushed ourselves to the limit completely. And the God of the Bible revealed in this book is the God who teaches people to take care of yourself, to know your limits, to take what's called Sabbath, to means that you're human, you're not God, you can't do it all. And by the way, one of the most spiritual things you could possibly do in your life is go take a nap. And all the men said, amen, amen. Man, self-care is so is so important. It's learning how to take care of yourself so you can dismantle the bomb before it even goes off. If you learn to take care of yourself, half your temptation is going to go away. You ever heard of the acronym HALT? It means hungry, angry, angry, or hurting, angry, lonely, or tired. If you are those things, hungry too, yeah. (laughs) If you are those things, you are going to be way more susceptible to temptation. But if you take care of yourself, half your temptation is going to go away because God's grace has taught you to take care of yourself. Here's another thing it teaches. It teaches us common sense. It teaches common sense to use our minds and to use wisdom to grow in self-control. I once heard a story of a great Christian leader and author. I went to a conference when I was young. I was 21 years old. And uh, I was listening to him speak and he was being interviewed. And another pastor asked him, how have you not managed to blow your life up? We read in the news all the time of spiritual leaders who have blown up their churches and blown up their marriages and cheated on their spouses and whatever else, and you have not done that. What's your secret? And so I just leaned in. (laughs) And you know what he said? This great leader said, well, of all the people I've known who have had a moral failure in life, You know, they all say the same thing. It's the only commonality that they have is that they all say one thing. They say, oh, 
I never thought it would happen to me. And so this guy said, so you know what my secret is? I began to assume it would happen to me unless I did something about it. So God's grace will teach you not just to take care of yourself, but it'll teach you to use common sense to remove temptations from your life and to pre-decide to not even get near temptation in the first place. I had a friend when I was at Florida State University. If you're young, bear with me. Don't, don't judge me. It was before Wi-Fi, okay? I had a friend at Florida State, and he was struggling with looking at some inappropriate stuff online. And you know what he did? He used the common sense guy gave him. He took out the Ethernet cable from his computer and went down the seven flights in his dorm and put it in the trunk of his car. No internet. Hard to get tempted when you don't have internet. He put distance between him and his temptation. He inconvenienced his temptation. He's using common sense. Anybody fans of the old movie, The Karate Kid? Yeah. One of my favorite scenes, Mr. Miyagi's teaching Danielson how to block. You know, Danielson, you want to know best block? Yes, Mr. Miyagi, what is it? Inner forearm block, outer forearm block, wax on, wax off. Which one is it? And Mr. Miyagi said, ah, best block is no be there. <laughs> and it's true. You know what the best block is for temptation and to grow and self-control? It's to not even be in the situation to be tempted in the first place. And here's the last thing. It'll teach you self-care. It'll teach you common sense. It's going to teach you to get some better friends too. If you walk with wise people, you grow with wise you grow wise. If you walk with fools, you become like fools. And let me tell you, if you need better friends, let me encourage you. We have something here on Monday night called Celebrate Recovery. It's just not for addicts, even though, man, if you're an addict, an addict and you need help, come. It's for anybody with a hurt, habit, or hang-up. Come get some friends. And for guys in the room, let me just say, anybody who's struggling with an, a porn addiction, which is just eating our society alive, we have groups here where you could come that are anonymous, that are helpful, where you could come band together with other brothers to help get you free from porn because freedom is real and you can have it. And you're going to need friends to link arms with, go through it together. Amen? Amen. Last thing. God's grace will teach us, but that God's grace, and here's the best part. If we just do all this stuff, like the behavior modification, that's great, but that's not Christianity. Christianity is our effort and God's power. God's grace empowers us. It empowers us to say no. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's one of my favorite promises of God. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. If you've done your part, You've taken care of yourself. You've not put yourself in compromising situations. You've gotten better friends around you. There will still come the moment, even if you eliminated 75% of the temptations that would come just by your own knowledge from a grace has taught you, there will still come a moment where the enemy of your soul will bring a temptation to come and knock on your door. And in that moment, God has promised to give you another way out. You're not trapped. And when it comes... Look for the way out and ask for the grace to say yes to it and no to sin. And he'll meet you there. Amen? Amen. So this is the perfect reason why we're going to end our time with communion today. Because we didn't come here today because we're all perfect in self-control. We came here today because we're sinners in need of a God of mercy and grace. Amen?
Amen. So I invite you now, uh, before we take communion, let's bow our heads. Let's take a moment to confess our sins to God. Let's do that now, just you and him. Take a moment, lift them up to him, confess them to God, apologize for them, ask for his forgiveness, and he'll meet you here. Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. You died for us while we were still sinners and it proves that you love us. So therefore, in the name of Jesus, we are forgiven. Amen. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do so in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup. He gave thanks for it and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant poured up for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do so in remembrance of me. So Father, thank you for the body and blood of Christ sacrificed for us on the cross as a substitute for our sin. Thank you for this bread and this juice that resembles his body and his blood, our forgiveness and life and hope. Pour out the Holy Spirit on it. Make it be for us the body and blood of Christ and pour your Holy Spirit out on all of us gathered here that we would be your body for broken and hurting world. Amen. All right, so when I dismiss you in just a moment, You're just going to stand up. You'll go out your left, my right, and you'll come down to each respective station in front of your section. Somebody will tear off a piece of bread. They'll give it to you. You'll dip the lower third in the cup and take communion that way. We have gluten-free stations here at the back for anybody who has any gluten sensitivities. You can just go check that out. And for what we always say, community of hope, anybody can take communion at our church. The only prerequisite is you want to follow Jesus and live at peace with one another. And if that's you, Come take communion. Come receive grace and mercy. So friends, come. Let's take communion together. If you're able, would you please stand? And we're just going to wait for a moment for the rest of our friends to finish taking communion out of respect for them. And so let's have a moment of stillness before God as they just accompany us behind. Let's wait on God. What do you think the Lord's saying to you in these closing moments. I feel like somebody came in here today. I didn't say this in the other service. I feel like there's somebody came in here today with a lie that you believed that you can never change. And God has brought you here today to tell you that's a lie. And that you can because he can. feel like if that's you, you've come here today because God has wanted to give you hope. Some of you come in here today with a lie that has said you're never going to get out of this. And in the name of Jesus, we declare that a lie. And Jesus has come in gentleness to set you free. He's just asking you to trust him. Um, I also feel like there's somebody here today. I'm not just listing stuff off it. As best as I can hear God, I feel like he's putting this on my heart. I feel like there's somebody else here this morning. Um, You've come with a deep, deep hurt you've been carrying uh, for many years, over 10 years, uh, from a family member. 
and you feel like you are going to feel this way forever and you feel stuck and you don't know how to get out. And I feel like Jesus is saying he's come to heal your heart so you can be free. Yeah. If you happens to be that particular one, come find me in the lobby afterward. I want to pray for you. Lord, for the rest of us who are gathered here now, we thank you for the grace that leads to self-control, to say no to sin and yes to you. We receive it now in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Friends, go in God's peace. We'll see you next weekend.